right. Um, Wow, so many things to do here this morning. Um, I I put up this verse. I want to go over this with you. Um, This verse that we're going to learn. You may think, well, that's a little long, Pastor Steve. That's a long verse. But it's it's a rich verse. It's a powerful verse. So it's not only that, okay, it's a little bit, maybe a little longer than what you were anticipating. But it's so good. Let me... I got it up here for us to take it. Let's just stand one more time. Come back. Stand back up. Let's honor the Word of God. Let's quote this together. So here we go. This is uh, Romans chapter 5, um, verses 1 through 5. And, um, and it's full of theology and truth. Okay, very important. It says a whole lot of things about the entire pathway to get closer to God. Right, so let's, let's read it together. Read it aloud and read it enthusiastically as we should. It's the word of God. And uh, let's do it together, shall we? Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance, character, and character, hope, and hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. One more time. You did good, you did really good there. That was good, yeah, I actually heard you, and, and great, felt, felt, you know, Felt some energy there. So that's good. So here we go. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access into, right, into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance, character, and character, hope. Now, hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Okay, let me just give you the skinny on this verse and tell you why this is such an important verse, okay? Because he says, therefore, um, having been justified, keep in mind the verb tense, Having been justified is past perfect. It means it's something that happened in the past and it's done. It's completed. It isn't something. So justification, meaning God's having pronounced um, you and I righteous, okay, is something that's already been accomplished. We're not trying to get, get to earn a status of righteousness. We have been made righteous because of our confession of faith. That's the ticket. When you believe what God did for you and that you could never do it for yourself and that you were only lost and had no hope on your own and Jesus comes into the rescue and goes to the cross and dies for your sins and mine, that's the ticket that begins this whole process of eternal life. Therefore, having been justified by faith, when you came to faith, you were pronounced by God not guilty. Whatever you had been, whatever had been a part of your story, whatever had been part of your life, God said, it's covered, paid for, paid for in full by Jesus who bore the the penalty for that on the cross, having been justified by faith. So now we have peace with God. Most people in the world have anxiety with God, if they think about God at all. 
Because when they think about God, they just think of like some angry God who doesn't think that what they're doing is very good and just kind of can't wait to press the smite button and just wipe them out of existence. That's kind of a, the natural human perception of who God is. Just somebody that is scary and probably a whole lot better than I am and I better not mess with him. And so we tend to just be kind of, you know, pretty timid around God and shy. No, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then not only do we have peace with God, but we also have access into this grace, into this status of favor. So God is not just tolerating Jamie here. Ah, Jamie became a Christian. All right, all right, let it go, let it go. We'll put up with her, she'll be better, right? God isn't tolerating any of us, although we could, we could certainly say that that would be appropriate. Yeah, we're, 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 we mess up, you know, we're selfish, we're dumb, we're, there's, we have all kinds of problems left that are still, un, we're, we're a very unfinished project, right? But we have peace with God, and now we have access into this status of grace or favor. So now I'm like, it's just like your kids have favor with you. They have more favor with you than somebody else's kids. Somebody else's kids are a pain in the neck to you. But your kids, ah, uh, that's my kid. Anyway, that's how we stand before the throne of God. We, are now, we now have access by faith into this grace in which we now stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, meaning we rejoice knowing that someday I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to see God's glory. Okay, well, that's good, but that's pie in the sky, that's sweet by and by, that's somewhere down the road. That is not something that's probably going to happen today or this week, right? So it's kind of off in the future. But he says not only do we have that, which gives us... Um, um, we, we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, but we also now can get a benefit out of even the problems that we have. We can glory in our tribulations because those tribulations, if we handle them right, are going to um, do a work of character in us. They're going to create Christ-like character. And, and so these problems and troubles, if we, le- if we give them to God and say, God, I, bl- I, I believe that somehow or another you've allowed this into my life, so I'm just gonna receive it in faith and believe that you got, a, you got something to teach me through all of this, okay, we, we now have um, hope of the glory of God and we also can glory in our tribulations. So this is a great verse of scripture just to be thinking about the, the process of spiritual life and how it actually happens. By faith, we have access into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the, glo- uh, the, hope of the glory of God. And not only that, we have hope in our problems and our tribulations because they're producing character, which produces, per- or per- they produce perseverance, which produces anyway character, and that will not disappoint because if, you, if we are building character, that's what God is most interested in, that our, our old, bad, negative, sinful character is just, that's gone. We were crucified with Christ, and now we are, the process that God is in is trying to build Christ-like character because that's who we were made to resemble. Amen. All right? So that's a good word, and that's, that's one of the reasons why this is, Oh, that's a few of the reasons why this is a great passage of Scripture. So tuck that thing away in your heart. Remember what the psalmist said, right? Your word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against God, right? Having the word of God in, in your heart gives you much more ability to stand strong in the time of difficulty or confusion or frustration because God is with you and his word is in your heart and mind. 
Hallelujah. That's why we're doing this. All right, you may be seated. <clears throat> Most of the time you would hear something like, we glory in tribulations, and you think, are you serious? Glory in tribulations? Like, who's that for? Because it, it's not, it ain't me, right? Because some, a tribulation comes along, and I'm more like, we grumble in tribulations, not glory in them. Right? This is the, I don't want this. But if we let God handle it, good things will come. Now, I got a million things to address here today. We got to get it done. When we last left Pastor Steve, we were in the midst of a study of one of the most important, one of the most dynamic, one of the most successful people in the Old, Test, in the Old Testament. And this guy's life and his testimony really serve as an object lesson, an illustration, a spiritual example of, of the important fundamental truth that we've been majoring on since we got into the new year, and that is to get God's word in our hearts and to actually, you know, put some effort into this to uh, hide God's word in our hearts. And he's an illustration of this, of, of the importance of that. Okay, we're talking about Joshua. We started with him a couple of weeks ago. The text that we're going to ultimately take a look at this morning can be found in Joshua uh, chapter 1, verses 1 through 9. So if you have a Bible or you have your device or however it is that um, you um, access the Word of God, um, that's where we'll ultimately get to. But Joshua is one of the most significant people in the Old Testament. He's also, his, his book could be called A Manual for Spiritual Success. Okay. Um, because and, and he's got this gigantic job to do. He's got to fill in this gigantic pair of shoes because the guy before him is revered, Moses, right? We'll talk about him just for a minute, just to kind of set this up. I to, I, again, I'm going to go back to the, all the parts and pieces of this story, Egypt and the bondage of Egypt and slavery and Moses and Canaan and all these, all these pieces to this particular picture because every one of them have special significance, and every one of them tell a much larger story than the story that is written specific that they are a part of in the Bible. But they all are illustrations of much larger, much deeper, much richer spiritual truths, and so that's why it's so valuable to to dig into his life. Um, His life personally, um, it kind of demonstrates this idea of the mysterious confluence between you and I doing what we freely doing what we do, and somehow finding that it's finding ourselves in the will of God. And it's like, how did this happen? Without being cognizant of it, without you know, thinking about it all the time, am I, am I getting it right? Am I getting it without some kind of high anxiety life? I'm always worried about if I'm in or out of the will of God, all this kind of stuff. And if that characterizes your mindset when it comes to God, you need to pitch that. You need to abandon that because you have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we also have access into this grace, favor, into which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory. See, that's the tone. I have peace with God. God's not my enemy. God's not against me. God is for me. He has demonstrated it forever. Just a few verses later in that same fifth chapter of Romans, he says, for maybe for a good man, somebody might dare to die, but God has demonstrated his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So he proved it a long time ago. So um, with, this, with this whole uh, story, we have, we have 
or Joshua's life, it just illustrates this, mirror, this mysterious interaction that somehow or another, you, you do what you do and you freely choose to do it and it's what you do and yet somehow or another God is working through you. You know, that's, it's like that verse of scripture which kind of gets to the same mystery where he says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. All right, that sounds like a job. Work out my own salvation with fear and trembling. That sounds like a project. But then he follows it by saying, For it is God who is working in you, causing you both to will and to do the things that are pleasing to him. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you, causing you to desire to do and to do the things that are pleasing to him. So there's this weird thing going on between us and God. It's God working in us. It's us somehow responding to what God is doing. And and remaining in that kind of a position is what takes you slowly, gradually down the road to spiritual fruitfulness. Doesn't happen overnight. It's not like you know, you're, you're not going to be given some massive project. God's going to say, let me see if you can, ha- here's another thing. See how you handle that one. Here's another one, another little one. And he, and he keeps on putting some new thing or allows some new thing into life or something comes along and, and the Lord says, will you trust me with that? Trust me. So trust me and just do the next right thing. That's all. Just trust me with the outcome. You just keep on doing the next right thing. And he gets, he gets much mileage out of that. So anyway, Joshua's life um, is like that. Um, so, and all the characters in this story are. And here's what the New Testament has to say about these Old Testament people and who they, um, and why they are written into the book. Okay? Here's the, uh, oh, here's our title for this morning. The Benefits of Memorizing the Word of God. Okay, we're going to look at three of them this morning. And subtitle, How to Be Strong and Courageous. How to Be Strong and Courageous. Do you need to be, did I just lose that? There we go. No, 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 come on back, back. Yeah. Oh, what just happened? We just jumped somewhere. Uh, Anyway, if there's anything that a person needs to successfully um, live out their faith and, uh, and, and, fu- and find fulfillment in the will of God. It is strength and it is courage. And in this world, you need both. You need both of those for anything that you want to do, that anything you want to succeed at. That, and it's just all, all that much more true concerning our life with the Lord. You need to be strong. You need to be um, courageous, because th- it is not going to be easy. There's going to be challenges all along the way. There's going to be people who try to s- shut you up and set you down and marginalize you. And, um, and a, a healthy dose of strength and courage is essential in order, to, in order for uh, us to experience spiritual fruitfulness and spiritual victory. Here's the, um, yeah, here's the passage that I wanted to bring your attention to in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 where um, Paul writes and lets us know why all this stuff was written for us and recorded in Scripture. He says, Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud. Now, he's talking about the people who came out of Egypt. So specifically, this is right in line with the things that we're talking about here today. All of our fathers were under the cloud. All passed through the sea, that being the Red Sea. All were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, all ate the same spiritual food, all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. But with most of them, 
God was not well pleased. And that, of course, has to do with those people who just simply hardened their heart and they refused to believe that the God who had brought them out of Egypt with a mighty hand could then bring them into this land that he had promised to give them 500 years earlier through Abraham. So it says, God was not well pleased for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now all these things happen to them as examples and they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the ages have come. So all these Old Testament stories, they are written to teach you and I spiritual truths. All these things happened in a natural fashion to the people of Israel. They came out of Egypt, they came out of bondage, we come out of the world, we come out of sin, we come out of the slavery of sin, we are offered salvation and redemption. It is typical, or it is typified by that whole process of the, uh, the Jews finally getting out of Egypt and out of slavery and out of bondage, although they went kicking and screaming all the way, which is kind of like how people respond to an invitation to be saved. Please no, please, I don't want to be saved. Anything but that. When Moses goes in and he starts telling Pharaoh to let his people go, the peop- and, and then um, the taskmasters pick up on this, they start making the people's life more difficult. They take away their straw and they take away their stuff. Their, their, and, and, and these guys go back to Moses, what are you doing? You're making everything a lot harder. Now what he's trying to do is deliver them from bondage and bring them into God's, the fullness of God's promise. That's what he's trying to do. But what they are, all they're uh, seeing is like, you're making things rough for us. Knock it off, right? And, and it, it, everybody, the people of Israel, they are typical of worldly lost people. Moses is typical of a, an aspect of God's working in our lives. He's typical of the law. Joshua's got it. So we're, we're gonna look at those types and see that in this whole story, there are things that are here specifically that we would learn eternal spiritual truths out of them and then be able to apply them to our life. So, They were written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the ages have come. So Moses is an example. You know his story, miraculously rescued. He's one of the Hebrew kids, one of the Hebrew male children. And at that time, they've decided that all Hebrew male children just need to be killed. And so Moses' mother has Moses, and she hides him for three months, but she can't hide him anymore. Finally, she has to do something about him. So they make a little basket, they drop little Moses in there and send it out into the Nile. And lo and behold, where does he wind up? Pharaoh's daughter happens to be bathing that day. Now, I wonder if that wasn't, if there wasn't a bit of an arranging going on there, or a couple of hands behind the scene. But again, it's like God working through, mysteriously, through things that just take place. And so Pharaoh's daughter's bathing in the Nile, and along comes this little baby in a basket, and she sends one of her slaves over there. Slave goes over, gets the, the baby. It's presumable, I think, that probably the slave is a Hebrew woman. And so she brings the baby back, and uh, Pharaoh's daughter falls in love with the baby. And so the, the, uh, the Hebrew uh, slave says, you want to go find somebody to nurse the baby for you? And she says, what a great idea, right? And so uh, the, the Hebrew woman goes and finds who? Moses' mother, right? What a coincidence, right? And so he, uh, the baby, Moses goes back to his mother another couple of years while he is weaned until he's finally done uh, breastfeeding. And then, then he goes over and he, he's adopted into Pharaoh's daughter's house. He becomes educated in all the culture and all the learning and all the science and all what, language and everything of the uh, Egyptian people. And he really is kind of, he's, he's like a son in the house of Pharaoh. 
And so that's kind of his, you know, that, that's the story that gets him off the ground. Then somewhere along the line, he begins to sense in himself a, like a sense of destiny, okay? Like there's something, something I'm here to do. I wonder if you've ever had that feeling. You should, there's, there should be some aspect of that. Right? There's something that I'm here to do. But the interesting part about Moses' story is he knows that there's something that he, he's here to do and he's anxious to do it, but he botches it every time he tries. Okay, one day, and, and what, what he feels is this kind of empathy, deep empathy for these Hebrew people. Maybe he knows he's one of them. It's possible that he does. It's, people talk, word gets out. So he probably knows, they probably know that he's not really Pharaoh's real son, but she found him along the way and she loved him and she kept him and they trained him and they, all, they got all the advantages of growing up in Pharaoh's household. But he probably has some sense that he's one of them. And so it seems like he's got a heart for them. He's got an empathetic, empathetic attitude towards them. And so one day he goes out, he sees this Egyptian guy, and the guy's beaten up uh, and abusing one of these Hebrew slaves. And so he goes over, they have it out, and he, he winds up killing the guy, okay? Because he's got this sense of destiny. I've got to help these people. I've got to do something for them. It's something in me wants me to do this, right? So he, he does it, but it just gets him in trouble. And so he, he winds up fighting, with, finds up fighting with this guy. He kills him. And then he buries him somewhere in the, in the desert someplace. And a short while thereafter, he's out walking around another day, and there's all these Hebrew slaves out there, and they're all working. He sees two slaves fighting. He goes over, tries to break it up. What are you guys doing? The one slave looks at him. He goes, who do, think, who do you think you are? Who made you God? Who made you judge? Who made you the big ruler? What, who do you think you are? What are you going to do? You're going to kill me like you killed the Egyptian the other day? Uh-oh. It's out. The word is out. And when this word gets out, and Pharaoh hears this word, Pharaoh has determined this guy's got to die for what he did. And so, again, he's trying to follow what he thinks is some kind of internal sense of what he's supposed to do in this world, but he just messes it up every time. And that's, that's just true. We all have kind of inclinations and, and, and things that we deeply feel are real for us in our life, part of a destiny we just don't necessarily know how to make it happen. Don't know how to necessarily know how to pull it off. And so he messes it all up. He decides he's got to get out of Dodge. So he goes into the wilderness and, and there he is out in the wilderness because of a shepherd. 40 more years he's out there with, uh, in the desert, right? Until he has his burning bush experience and he's out there one day and he's in the desert, in the wilderness and he sees this bush that's burning and the amazing part is that bush is not burning up. It is burning, but it is just continuing to burn. He checks it out. He gets a little closer, a little, okay. And then, and then finally God speaks to him and says, take your shoes off. This place that you're standing on is holy ground. And who are you? I'm Yahweh. And, and, I, and I, got a, I got a message for you, pal. You're gonna go back in and tell Pharaoh, let my people go. Okay, so this thing that he's been feeling forever, this, this is very typical of the way God works, where something is planted in you, some dream, some hope, some longing, whatever it may happen to be. I can't say that I believe it's universal because I haven't had everybody all the time always tell me how it's working. But I know that it's, it's a part, it's an aspect that there's something in us, something noble, something good, something righteous, something beneficial that we want to be able to do, but we've messed it up so many times that we just feel like, ah, it's never gonna happen. Okay? And the younger you are, the more this, the, the more this truth is real. Something inside of you that's, that's kind of nudging you forward. And, there's something, and if, it's, it's, if it's moving towards a good thing, it's, it's from God. 
It's from God. If, if, it is, if it is inclined to want to bless people and help people and serve people and make the world a better place, it's from God. You may not be able to make it happen. You may not be able to manufacture it on your own. You may have tried in 30 different ways to, to, make, to somehow make it happen, but thus far it hasn't happened or it hasn't happened in its totality, but it will happen. And that's why all these people in this story, uh, all are, they're speaking lessons into our lives about the will of God for us. Because you and I, are not Joshua, but Joshua didn't know he was Joshua either. In other words, it's not like Moses came out and right off the bat, there's a whole Bible. Whoa, look at that, there's a book of Joshua. Check this out, Joshua, what do you think? Joshua doesn't know that he's Joshua, just like you don't know who you are either. For your life is hid with God in Christ. Right? And it does not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when Christ shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. I'm kind of ahead of myself in my message. But anyway, simply to say, we'll, we'll get back to that in just a moment. But um, Moses is a type. And, and when it all breaks down, to, to really give Moses his typical identity, Moses is a type of the law in this whole story. Moses typifies the law. He goes up to the mountain. God gives him the Ten Commandments. He comes back down. He shares that with the people. He writes the first five books of the Old Testament. Moses is all about the law of God. But unfortunately, the law of God is not capable of bringing people into the land of promise. What I mean by that is, the law of God, which means the Ten Commandments, will we'll, we'll kind of like um, distill it all down to the Ten Commandments, the Decalogue, right? That those, those ten things will not get you into the land of promise. If you think that you're living according to the Ten Commandments, you say, well, see, I haven't murdered anybody lately, and I have pretty kept the adultery down, and, uh, you know, I, I have uh, not used the name of the Lord my God in vain, and uh, I have honored my parents, and I haven't, uh, uh, you know, born false witness and I've not coveted. You're a liar. Yes, you have. In all of those things, we have failed. The, the law only comes, God only gave the law to show us how bad we are, not how good we are. The law only reveals how bad we are. And so it brings nothing, it never brings um, commendation, it only brings condemnation right? And so Moses being a type of the law, he longs to, he wants to bring more than anything, he wants to see this promise that God promised Abram, 2000 BC, he wants to see the fulfillment. He believes it. He's totally on board. He actually has been feeling it since he's been a little, this whole idea of deliverance and getting them out and helping them out and doing something good for them. It's been in him from the time he was a kid, but he can't get it done because he's a type of the law. He's the man of the law. And the law comes to the gates of the promised land and they close. No access, no entrance. Not even for Moses himself. He's allowed to see the promised land. He climbs up Mount Nebo and he can look it over and he's looking out over the Dead Sea there and up towards, up towards the north, but he is not allowed to go in because of his own disobedience and the people are not allowed to go in because of their unbelief. And so he spent the last 40 years pumping faith into this next generation. Through the books that he's written, through the preaching that he's done, through the teaching that he's doing, he's pumping them up with the word of God. That's why those people don't have any faith. They had some miracles, they had some amazing things, but they didn't have the word of God inside them. I'm talking about the people who came out of slavery, the people that came out of Egypt. They were just a bunch of slaves. They, 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 there were no Bibles. 
There was no Moses, there was no nothing. There might have been some stories floating around, but those kind of vanished pretty, probably vanished away pretty quickly in the light of having to live a life of a slave, right? And so Moses longs to see this happen. He knows it's a promise. He knows that God is going to fulfill it. And then he gets the call and he goes in and the whole process starts, but he's not allowed to bring him into the land of promise because he's a type of the law and the law doesn't get you there. The law only brings us into condemnation. So Moses is um, one part of the story, and he is, he is a type of something important. Let's see. The, oh, here we go. Here's, the, uh, the, here's how Paul phrases this when he speaks of the law. He says, For by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight since through the law comes knowledge of sin, which is basically what I just said, that the only thing the law can do for you is condemn you. But if, you, if we really try to measure ourselves by the law, we would find ourselves condemned by it. Canaan, the promised land, is also a theme and a type. It was the land that God promised to Abraham. It was, it still is um, a geographic homeland to the Jewish people, but it has a much larger, more eternal significance to it. In God's plan of redemption, Canaan represents the place of living under the blessing of God. For New Testament people, we're not gonna get a land to live in. God's not gonna, all this isn't gonna be replicated. It isn't supposed to be replicated. These were all natural provisions that God provided for his people, Israel, but they were all spiritual lessons for those of us who have become spiritually connected to God through the new birth and through, uh, and through the redemptive work of our Lord Jesus. So, um, Canaan represents the place of living under the blessing of God. For us New Testament followers, the promised land represents the spirit-filled life. The spirit-led life. You with me? Okay, this is important. Okay, that, that God has made promises to us through scripture, and those promises are just as true as those promises that he made to Abram. Abram, get yourself up and get out of this country and get away from your father's house and go to a land and I'll tell you where you are when you get there and I'll make your name great and I'll make you the father of a great nation. I'll make you the father of a whole bunch of nations and I'll, whoever blesses you, I'm gonna bless. Whoever curses you, I'm gonna curse. And through you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. That sounds like a promise. It is, right? But in the same way God had made that promise but had just been kind of on ice until the time came around for it to be fulfilled. So that's the same with us. God's, God has promises, God has made promises to us. I'll, I'll show you a couple of them here. All right, here's what Jesus says in John chapter 10 and verse 10. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they might have life and that they may have it more abundantly. Oops, okay, got a little typo there. I have come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. Doesn't that sound like a promise? Isn't Jesus saying, look, you had this, but now that I've come, I'm taking the whole thing up a whole bunch of notches, okay? Now, this, this should not be um, imported into our materialism. Oh, well, Jesus says, well, I have abundant life. That must mean that it's Rolexes and it's Brooks Brothers and it's Cadillacs or Mercedes. no. It's the quality of life. That the quality of life here on planet Earth for most people is like the quality of being a slave in Egypt. 
That's what it ultimately breaks down into. Even if you have wealth and riches and resources, inevitably, life is an unfulfilled promise. It's a longing for all kinds of things that we will never be able to possess, and, that at the, and then at the end, we will die and kiss it all goodbye anyway. It is an unfulfilled and unfulfillable promise. That's what the world is. But God makes promises, and those promises, he is absolutely he is uh, pledged to fulfill if we will do a couple of simple things, right? If we'll trust him, if we'll believe him, if we'll obey him, if we'll do those three things, he can take care of the rest. He can pull all the circumstances and situations together. I have come that they may have life, have it more abundantly. How about this one? His, we're gonna sing this one one of these days. Joel, uh, Joel and I and Tim and probably others Maybe we get Josh, too. Josh, we can get you up here singing sometime, man. You know? Can't hide that light under a bushel, baby. Right? Um, Here's one. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, his glory and goodness, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature. What a cool thought. Having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Okay, do you sense, do you see the promise there? His divine power has given us everything we need for life, for godly living, through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and virtue, and that by these God has made special promises, right, uh, to us through the provision of these things, that, that through them we may become partakers or may become participants in the divine nature and escape the corruption that is in this fallen world because of evil and bad desires. Okay, there's another promise. And so, now here's the question, do you believe it? Do you believe that Jesus that his promise to give you an abundant life is real. You don't have to answer the question, but your answer to that will tell you everything about where you're at in your spiritual life. Because if you hear that and you go like, yeah, okay, all right, it's cool. (laughs) Right, if there's no zeal, if there's no energy, if there's nothing to it, if it's like, eh, then you're like one of the people of Israel. Okay, God says, hey, I'm gonna give you houses you didn't build, and I'm gonna give you tr- fruit trees you didn't plant, and I'm gonna give you wells you didn't dig, and, and they're going, hey, all right, okay, cool. Right? But they, they didn't believe, okay? So it's important for us to believe, and how does, how does belief, how does faith get stoked? How does it get stronger? It gets stronger when the word, as, we, as we fill our mind with what God has to say. So, so God always works. This is, this is God's modus operandi. It is a modus operandi is a particular well-established way of doing something. A particular well-established way of doing something. This is how God works. He starts with a promise, okay? The scripture has many of them, okay? And then that promise, I see it, and the faith thing in me or the spirit thing in me arises and says, I'm gonna believe that. And then, I'm gonna live like I believe that. I'm actually gonna, if I I just say I believe it, as though it were just some piece of information that I could take and just kind of put off to the side, I've missed the point. It is when I say I believe that thing, I'm going for it, I'm after it. I believe that God wants to fulfill that in my life. This is the way God has always worked. There's promise, 
There's a season of time in which he walks us through and tests us out and tries us out and sees what we're made of and real and reveals to us what we're made of. And then if we are, if we are faithful to God through the whole thing, we will get to that place and there will be a fulfillment of God's promise. That's how he works. Okay? So, so we have Moses. We have the people of, of Canaan, the land of Egypt is a type, the people of Israel, a type of lost humanity. But all of this brings us to this guy Joshua, brings us back to this guy Joshua. Um, he, his life probably speaks most profound because he is not only just a type, he's a type of Christ. He's a man of faith. He's a man of, 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 who believes the, that God, what God has promised, he will fulfill. He trusts that the God who worked the miracle to get them out has enough power to get them in to the, the land of promise. So, as we come to this passage, <clears throat> uh, so this, this kind of leads us or will bring us now into this Joshua chapter one, and in which God wants to prepare him. Uh, six times, I think, in scripture, between the end of the book of Deuteronomy and the beginning of the book of Joshua, six times, somebody says to Joshua, only be strong and courageous. You know, the people tell him that. Moses tells him that. God tells him that. I think he needs to be strong and courageous. But that is what anybody needs in order to inherit the blessings of God, to be strong and to be courageous. How can I learn to be that? How can that happen? That's our subtitle here this morning. We're going to learn how that can happen here in the, in the testimony of Joshua. So, let's go to the, go to the chapter. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise. Go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses. Just as I was with Moses so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success in uh, wherever you go. So here's the, 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 the thought for today. We're, we're on this theme of the importance of building the word of God or, or, or laying the foundation of your life upon the, uh, the word of God. And what, God's, uh, what God spoke to Joshua is what he's speaking to every one of us. It is the same thing. He's, saying, he's telling him, I've got something special for you. I've got a special job for you. That's why Joshua is so cool. That's why the story, I mean, the guy even has, as I mentioned last time, the right name. The name of our Lord Jesus is Joshua, right? So Moses, ah, nope, he's not going to get the, he's not going to get the nod. Uh, I got somebody else. He's even got the right. But what I was saying before is that at this time, Joshua does not know that he's Joshua. He just thinks he's some guy. He's one of these Israelites. He's got zeal for God. He's excited about what's going on. He's been living 40 years as a slave. And then all of a sudden Moses comes along and there's all kinds of action. And now all of a sudden they're going to, you know, there's hope. 
that, that he's not gonna die a slave, and so he's excited, he's on board with the whole thing, and so um, uh, he's, he's, he's interested and he's buying in to what, what is happening, but he doesn't know that he's Joshua, right? And what I mean by that is it's not like he can read his own book and know what he's gonna do. He's, he's just, he's, he's gotta walk it out, just like you gotta walk it out. Just like you, he's, he's, he's meeting it by faith, just like you gotta meet it by faith, right? He's, he's perceiving it and allowing all of these different things to speak to him and God to speak through him through them because that's what faith is all about. It is letting God speak through the reality of our life and, and make sense out of it as opposed to just having a mindset that is governed by the world which breeds nothing but confusion, anger, frustration, and disappointment, okay? But, but, found, but, but building our hope upon the promises that God has made, that brings clarity. That brings strength. That, brings, that, that, that causes our lives to, uh, to begin to become precise. We're moving in a real direction, okay? And so... This is where Joshua is at, and he's just taking it one day at a time, at a time, but he becomes this incredible type of Christ himself because he is a man of faith, believing God, and he's bringing them in. Last week I was telling you about Jesus. Jesus, last week he's baptized out into the wilderness, tempted by the devil. What is Jesus saying to the devil? The word. All the scriptures that he quotes are from Deuteronomy chapter six, seven, and eight. Why? Because Deuteronomy 6, 7, and 8 are all the messages that, that Moses was preaching to these children of God, telling them, get yourselves ready, because it's about time we're going in, and you're going to need to know this, right? So Jesus, when he, when he encounters the devil after fasting for 40 days, he's cool. He's relaxed. Even though, he, even though it, like the devil has no real power over him, because he knows what God has promised him, and he knows that God will be faithful to his promise. So if the devil wants me to just genuflect to him so that I can have all the kingdoms of the world, to you, Pally, because I already got it. It's already gonna be given to me, and I don't have to worship you, or serve you, or kowtow to you, or bow, or anything to you, because you, you have nothing for me. He's got everything for me. That's faith. That's what faith really is. It's not some intellectual acknowledgement that the things that we read in the Bible actually happen, are historically true. That's not really faith. If you don't believe that, you're stupid. <laughs> right? Because it's history. It's validated, verified history. You don't, it's not faith to believe that Jesus Christ lived and walked on the earth and went to the cross. That's not, it is faith to believe that when he did that, he did it for you. Amen. That's faith. That's what changes the dynamic of your life because you think then to yourself, man, if there's a God and he loved me like that, that he would endure all of that for the low life thing that I am and all the stuff that I've done wrong, I better rethink this whole thing about God. Maybe I can be friends with God. And that's exactly what happens. So I want to run over, because this, this is exactly where I was like two weeks ago, and this was kind of the point of the message, and then I just ran out of time. So I thought, we can't, I, I can't just not ever put this up there. So here's three quick, we're talking about the benefits of memorizing the Word of God. Oh, we might have another one of these. Let's see. Yes. Oh, this is, that's, this is the verse I was uh, quoting before. Set your mind... <coughs> 
<laughs> set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth, for you died. You see, you don't know that you're a Joshua, but you are. You are. And that's what God is preparing you for, to be a Joshua, to do great and mighty things. He says to Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 33, verse 3, call on me and I will show you great and mighty things that you do not know. Okay, there's a whole bunch yet about what God has for any one of us, the least of us, the littlest, the, you, no matter how, how insignificant you feel this whole thing, God has great and glorious things. God doesn't have any bench jockeys. Doesn't, God doesn't have any pew warmers. God's got active, dynamic individuals, and, it's, and it all gets started when we start to believe him and then begin to step out into all this. Uh, set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. That's the thing. And we are in the process of discovering that as we step out in faith, believing, trusting, obeying. That's the pattern. That's the process. So one more verse of scripture to wrap it up. Here's what God, here's what God spoke to Joshua to pray, to get him ready to be Joshua. Okay, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous. Then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened nor be dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Joshua chapter one, verse eight. The Lord your God is with you wherever you go. So to cut to the chase, Here are three lifelong blessings that will come into our life if, in fact, we take that same advice and uh, do what God told Joshua to do. Number one, first, we will have success in whatever we do. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Notice he's not telling you, get your, war, get your war council together. Get your guys together. Make sure you got some good leaders. He's telling here's the only thing you really got to worry about. Just get my word in your head, and think about it, and think about it, because it will equip you. It will make you strong. It will make you bold. It will make you courageous. It will make you fearless, it, because it's me. It's what I said, and I'm God, and I'm in control of this whole thing at the end of the day. So, The first thing is success in whatever we do. I know you want that. Who doesn't? Second, strength for whatever we face. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. You know, this, the, the power of the word of God That's like, you know, Wheaties, breakfast of champions. You know, the word of God, breakfast of champions. There's the Wheaties, I guess, will nourish and strengthen you and, you know, help you to maintain a healthy body and all of that, right? So it's good. And good food nourishes you and, and makes you strong. But the word of God nourishes you spiritually, makes you mighty spiritually. It makes you insightful spiritually. It It is the tool that God uses to refine the whole process in our life. So he says, be strong and courageous. So second, we, uh, we, out, of, out of doing what he told Joshua to do, we get strength for whatever we face. And we all know that there's a couple of pretty formidable things that come along as we pass our way through this life. You need strength. And third, 
the sustaining presence of God wherever we go. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid nor be dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Okay. So we're gonna receive communion this morning and in the light of that, I want us all to just be thinking about this idea. God, how can I? You see, God doesn't call the equipped. He equips the called. In other words, when we respond in faith to believe him for what we believe he's speaking into our life, he has a means by which he strengthens us. You know, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand in the evil day. Having done all to stand, stand. Having your belt truth and having on the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, breastplate of, like all these different things, right? As I I present myself for service, all those things are available for me to, to like be able to be a successful warrior in this thing. Hallelujah. Okay, so we're gonna do communion. But in, in this, just in this thing, think of the power of this, the, the, the sustaining presence of God wherever you go. When you and I know that God is with me, you know, when, what, think of how this works in the life of David, um, where he says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, that sounds pretty serious, right? We kind of, we, we take it all, we, we know this. For, Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. evil. Why? For you're with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Are you kidding me? You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life and I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Why? All, those, all these blessings, he says, because you're with me. And if you are with me, together, it, success is inevitable. Amen. Hallelujah.